the award-winning Your Financial Editor program on 930 WFMD. News from the worlds of business and finance with your financial editor, Chris Murray. Welcome to another edition of the Your Financial Editor program right here on Free Talk Radio 930 WFMD at WFMD.com. And as a podcast, go to Apple Podcasts. I'm Chris Murray, your host. Thanks so much for being with us. Good program for you today. Uh, really good top stories, economic data, what the Fed did as far as moving interest rates this past week. Also joining me, the chief economist at the National Federation of Independent Business, the NFIB. Their report came out this week. We're going to be talking about uh, what it looked like. It wasn't pretty. I can give you a precursor, but be able to dive deeper into that. Mr. Uh, Dunkelberg will be uh, joining me. He is a chief economist um, and um, does a phenomenal job at the NFIB. So we'll be taking a look at what uh, businesses like on Main Street, you know, for uh, the real um, mom and pop, small business owners out there, farmers, ranchers, uh, those in agriculture, different parts of ag, you name it. Um, so we'll be talking about that. You know, one of the things everybody is so sick of is this unnecessary inflation. Uh, we've been dealing with it for a year and a half, at least we have here on the program, talking about it, telling people it wasn't going to be transitory. Um, all this word speak. And then finally, you start hearing the Federal Reserve saying they're going to act expeditiously. Well, OK, that's another fancy word that you're trying to distort, just like transitory. And then a couple weeks ago, the Treasury Secretary and all of her wisdom came out and said that she didn't see inflation coming uh, at the rate that it was. You know, these are people that have been these are trained economists that have been in place uh, for multi, multiple decades, and they tell you they don't see it coming. I mean, they're older. It's not like they're 22 and they just got their, their college diploma. I mean, they've been through multiple business cycles. So them saying they don't see it as a bunch of garbage, there's no way that uh, they didn't see this coming. There's no way that they didn't know that that excessive spending um, – that we saw the last couple of years, trillions and trillions of dollars. There's no way that they could say, oh, it's not going to cause inflation. The Federal Reserve, it's no way that when they're building their models, they looked at them and said, ah, we're going to be fine. We don't have to worry about these uh, zero uh, interest rate policies and uh, spending. Um, well, what did they add? Nine trillion dollars uh, to their balance sheet. Now, they raise rates and they have to unwind that balance sheet. So this is a Petri dish. What the Federal Reserve is doing, they've never had to do this type of experiment. And we see how poorly they've handled the experiences and experiments in the past. So knowing that they haven't come up against something like this really gets your attention um, even if you're just uh, uh, looking at it in layman terms and you look at, like I said, what they're trying to do, they're so far behind with inflation. Like, again, I'm, I'm glad that we were talking about it a year and a half ago. And then as time went by, we were saying, wait, the you know, the horse is getting ready to bolt out of the barn. Well, that horse is miles and miles away. And now what they're trying to do is play catch up uh, with inflation and uh, it's just embarrassing, you know, that we have to have this kind of 
uh, treatment and lack of leadership in, in all areas, whether it's the Federal Reserve, uh, 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, the Energy Department, the Department of Education, um, the Department of Transportation, you name it, they're, they're, they're terrible at what they're doing. And again, it's either they're inept, literally, even though they've been there for multiple decades, um, or it's intentional. That's what we're looking at, and that's what we have to come to grips with, and we have to appreciate those those choices and truths for sure. You know, this whole energy thing, record high gas prices again this week, record high diesel prices again this week, all self-imposed. The spin from the press secretary, from Biden himself, makes no sense. You can even see they're uncomfortable trying to talk about it because they don't believe it themselves. They realize they have to process and cheerlead these excuses, knowing that they're not true. You know, I sat on a conference call this week with uh, the American Petroleum Institute, and uh, it was simple. They came out with a a 10-point plan. Uh, They sent this to the... um, the White House and and other agencies saying, look, if you want to get rid of these high fuel prices, let's go. One, lift development restrictions on federal lands. Uh, who owns federal lands? We do. So enough with the restrictions that are put in place on purpose to hurt Americans when it comes to energy policy. Number two, designate critical energy infrastructure projects. What are the most important projects that can be streamlined? Again, get away with all this or away from, I should say, all this uh, regulation and red tape. What's the infrastructure that we can focus on jumpstart that's going to create relief the quickest? Three, Fix and revise the National Environmental Policy Act process. More red tape. you got to fix it. Quit doing this on purpose. Quit hurting people every single day. And we look at all the damage that's already been done. It's sad. Accelerate liquid uh, natural gas exports. Um, Unlock investment and capital to Uh, and access to capital. This is the other thing they're doing because of this whole, um, um, not whole, I'll say 85% of the fake climate change, green energy initiatives. um, They're actually with, uh, with lenders and now they've got wall street who used to be their boogeyman, but now wall street's not their boogeyman anymore. They've extorted them to the point that if you are a bank, for example, and you give an energy company a loan, you're going to pay for that because of the environmental social governance, ESG, um, extortion that they've got in place now. And we already see the Securities and Exchange Commission, I've talked about this for, for quite some time, coming out like we saw in the Obama administration with other uh, agencies. They can't get it through Congress. The people that we elect won't vote for it. So what do they do? 
they try to have it done through an agency, some type of harmful law or rule or or whatever it may be. Um, Dismantle supply chain bottlenecks. Number seven is advance lower carbon energy tax provisions. Eight, protect competition in the use of refining technologies. Nine, end permitting instructions on natural gas projects. Again, that's all on purpose. And number 10, advance the energy workforce of the future. Um, I mean, these people in the energy sector work so hard. And, uh, of course, it's as far as energy resources and options, it's all the above. But there's so much that's not ready now that they want to act like it's ready. Poor technology, for example. Um, so they want to cause all this pain. Uh, and it's hurting everybody every single day. Some people, of course, it's hurting a lot more than others. If you're poor, if you're on a fixed income, if you're a single mom, they're making and have been, by the way, when I talk about damage in the wake of bodies behind us already, uh, every single day they're making hard decisions. And it's it's self-imposed. Now, they're going to, again, the boogeyman. They always need a boogeyman. Who can I blame? Because I don't want to take responsibility. I don't want to be accountable. So who can we blame? How can we spin it? So that gullible people accept it and believe it. Oh, okay, well, let's say it's the bad energy companies. They're making too much profit. What about when they lose billions of dollars every year? Were you Was, was Congress going to give them some type of a great tax credit to make up for that? No. Which, by the way, they lost their pants during the virus. Um, so Biden's talking about them making money. You know, and then he acts like he's extending this olive branch, even though it's not him, whoever it is. Um, and, and at the same time, getting tough with these companies about doing different things. How can they when their hands are tied because of your rules and regulations? You're talking out of both sides of your mouth. Makes no sense whatsoever. And why would they want to do business with you? As much as they'd like to help the American people, you declared war on them and on their profession and industry. Why do they want to come help you out? They see you just nosediving right into the ground, literally just drilling yourself into the ground when you look at polls. I'm not a big poll person, as I've said, for the last 24 years on this program. Um, But when you look at every single poll, even those that are in the tank for you, and they're as poor as they are right now, there's nowhere to hide. It's obvious. So what's the, what's the plan? Can we see how much more damage we can get done before the midterms? Is that what, is that what, what you're going to do? You don't care about the food prices, the energy prices, the electronics, the new and used car prices at all times. You, you don't care about rent on average $2,000 a month. I mean, is that it? You don't care? So you're not trying to do anything from a common sense standpoint? When you know all the facts are against you? You think people are that stupid? You don't, do you? You just don't care. You don't care how much pain you cause. What did uh, Gensler 
or whoever the guy that I mentioned two weeks ago, economist at the White House, said, okay, finally, you know, I admit it. I don't know what inflation feels like for somebody making fifty or $60,000 a year. Guess what? That's America. That's not you at your fancy dinners and your cocktail parties and your private drivers and your inside dealings and your abuse of power. Okay, the 50,000, 60,000, I mean, that's America. And, and at least you say you don't understand how they feel. But it's by choice. Because if you got out there and talked to people, if you saw how they're living their lives, how they're struggling, how they're making hard decisions between energy, food, and medicine, maybe you'd look at things differently. There again, maybe not. I'm not sure. I did see Chevron uh, this week, the CEO, said that, you know, he doesn't believe that there'll be ever another oil refinery built here in the United States ever. So who are we going to rely on for energy? I'm not even going to go too deep into the the rabbit hole when it comes to um, electric uh, batteries and what, do, what does it take to get those? Where's all the material elsewhere? China, Russia, you name it. Oh, okay, so we're going to do it here? Great. How long is it going to take to get one of the mining facilities up and running? Oh, probably nine or ten years because of all the permitting and red tape and bureaucracy. Oh, that's fantastic. So that's even longer that we're uh, beholding to these people that hate our guts and want to, you know, overtake us as the world superpower, both economically and militarily. You just can't fix stupid. And uh, unfortunately, that's exactly where they're headed. And it's hurting everybody. I saw this week, despite strong commodities, farm uh, farmer sentiment in the United States deteriorated sharply last month because producers are anxious about what their prospects look like, what their financial health is going to be at the end of all this with these record uh, input prices that they have to pay. I mean, and I say that as an example, two of the biggest things that farmers are using, obviously, is diesel fuel. And second is fertilizer and other material necessary to get a crop in and then, of course, successfully harvest it. So they're worried about that. And and I can see why. Um, and, and just the last thing on the whole climate thing, take a quick break, get back on track. Uh, the watchdog Net Zero Watch, which scrutinizes climate uh, policies, has accused the world's largest broadcast news organization of bias over climate change. Imagine that, right? I know you're not surprised. The report uh, outlines criticisms that the BBC has been forced to correct false claims in climate-related coverage after receiving public complaints in recent years. Furthermore, critics say the BBC's lack of opposing perspectives means it is now promoting a, quote, green ideological view of the world, unquote. They're all getting caught. But it's not being covered enough. And um, people, I guess a lot of people just don't care, which that's to their own 
um, demise, really, I think. But, you know, as I've said for decades, they won't have any public, honest, well-moderated debate because they'll lose. They'll lose. So instead they hide. They hide behind closed doors, issue papers that if they're fact-checked often are incorrect and then have the media carry their water for them. Go to murrayfinancialgroup.com, our latest white paper. I think it's a good one. think you'll appreciate it. Creating your retirement recipe, how interest rates play a role in your retirement. So, again, if you go to murrayfinancialgroup.com, you'll get that free uh, download. Just click the button. It goes right to your email. And, of course, we got another uh, increase in rates this week. So that interest rate, uh, th- these increases that we've seen and will continue to see, what's it going to do to your investment retirement planning? Uh, and we'll talk about that Fed meeting on the other side. Welcome back. This is Chris Murray, your financial editor on Free Talk Radio 930 WFMD at WFMD.com. And as a podcast, just go to Apple Podcasts and you can uh, can get it there. Um, as far as economic data, we got uh, quite a bit of it this week. Some of the highlights, low lights, actually. Uh, one thing I saw, the University of Michigan's gauge of consumer sentiment fell sharply to a record low reading of 50.2. So that was down from a reading in May of 58.4, much worse than what economists polled by the Wall Street Journal for uh, were looking for. The level is comparable to the low point reached in the middle of the 1980 recession. So a lot of talk out there about recession. Um, I don't really participate in it because it, it's been um, my thought that for a while now it's felt like we're in a recession and obviously, when you have that, um, it has a direct impact on people, uh, how they feel, how they act, what they do, how they spend. The United States of America, our economy, the biggest in the world, is driven by the American consumer. So, again, whether we're technically in a recession or not, it's almost a moot point because people everywhere you go – Again, outside of the the bubble people in the Beltway and on the, the East and West Coast, uh, the elites, if you will, who don't care. Uh, but everybody else, they, they talk about it and uh, they share their pain and they swap stories, at least everywhere I've been. Um, and it, it's it, so even if it's not a technical um, recession it feels like one. And to me, that's just as or more important for sure. And that just increased this week. We saw the inflation on the wholesale level, um, 10.8% in May from year over year. 10.8%. That follows the 8.6% that we got from the consumer price index, which we know it's worse than that. I mean, fuel prices are up close to 50% year over year. Now, that 8.6% and 50% obviously are different. Um, How much you pay for eggs and bacon and milk and 
fill in the blank is much higher than this average 8.6% that they're feeding us. So I think it really is impacting people. It is a talk of the town. Everybody's sick of it. Um, I'll go back to what I mentioned a little while ago. I'm not big on polls, but every poll you look at when it comes to how things are being handled with the economy, with inflation, with the border, they're all in the toilet. So that definitely tells you something. I mean, and when the, the faithful start turning on the administration, the ones that they always try to help get elected and then backfill with various uh, headlines and whatnot, they're, you know, some of those are turning on them. You know, it's, uh, it's really bad housing. You know, we got some negative data this week from how in the housing sector because of uh, what? Higher interest rates means higher mortgages. Um, you've got inflated prices when it comes to housing material. Now, I mean, it's one thing after another. So they're being impacted. On Wednesday, by the way, we did get exactly uh, what we expected after last Friday's CPI coming in hotter than expected. Um, and we did see a 75 basis point, three quarters of a percent um, increase in the Federal Reserve's uh, benchmark interest rate. That's the first time we've seen a three quarters of a percent hike in almost three decades. So you'd have to go back to 1994, if I remember correctly. It just shows you how serious inflation is. And it also shows how far behind um, the Federal Reserve is and how poorly they've been doing their jobs, um, even with all those famous trained economists and PhDs. Building, weren't they building models saying, hey, we've never had um, this type of, uh, of virus or whatever that's going to impact the, the country. We know where rates are. We know how much money's been uh, printed and infused into the economy. I mean, they, they, they should have been a whole lot closer than where they are now. But they're not. They've lost credibility, uh, which they didn't have a whole lot to start with. They had to eat those words I mentioned, like transitory, and replace them with they're going to act expeditiously and all the other garbage. Um, but they don't have the credibility. So that's part of their problem as well, is people are really trying to figure out if uh, if they know what they're doing uh, going forward. So, But we did get that three-quarters of a percent increase. Uh, they left another one on the table for their next meeting, which is just a month away. So in July, they'll probably be sitting down doing the same thing. Um, and um, we still have these record prices. And you know what? If we come off of them a little bit, so what? You think that's going to make people happy? That you go from a national average of $5 for gasoline and five seventy nine for diesel and you go down five or six or ten cents? No. It's not going to make them happy. It's bad enough that these these goofballs are draining our strategic petroleum reserves. I mean, that's just the stupidest thing. And it's oh, hey, we're going to send out a million barrels a day to help with energy prices. Guess what? Since they've done that, I think it gas has gone up every day. 
or if not, 98% of those days. They don't know what they're doing. Failed policies, uh, poor leadership, uh, actually no leadership, which we've been through this before, but uh, this is not good right now. When we come back, we're going to be talking with my guest, the senior economist at uh, the NFIB, the National Federation of Independent Businesses, uh, Mr. Uh, Bill Dunkelberg. He's the chief economist there. He has been since 1971. He's been through the wars uh, when it comes to uh, the economy and, uh, and the job markets. We're going to get his opinion and input on the report we saw from the NFIB this week. And really just, you know, what's going on with uh, the Main Street businesses out there, the backbone of our economy. Go to murrayfinancialgroup.com. You can get our latest uh, white paper, Creating Your Retirement Recipe, How Interest Rates Play a Role which, of course, uh, we're seeing those increases in interest rates. Go to murrayfinancialgroup.com and uh, click the button on the homepage. It's complimentary. And we're back with Bill Dunkelberg in just a minute. It's your financial editor with Chris Murray on 930 WFMD. Welcome back. This is Chris Murray, your financial editor on Free Talk Radio 930 WFMD at WFMD.com. And as a podcast, just go to Apple Podcasts. Thanks uh, so much for being with us this morning. Appreciate it. And this afternoon, actually, replaying this twice during the day now. Um, And um, uh, really happy to have everybody with us, all of our guests, whether you've been with us since 1997 uh, when I started the program, or if you're a brand new listener or anywhere in between those bookends, uh, it's great to have you along. I hope your uh, weekend's going well. And um, going to have another uh, favorite uh, guest on uh, joining us this morning, Mr. Bill Dunkelberg. It's been about a year, year and a half since he's been on. He's a chief economist for the National Federation of Independent Business, the NFIB. He has been since 1971. He's a national known authority, uh, professor emeritus of economics at the School of Business and Management at Temple University. He was an advisor to the Secretary of Commerce, appointed to the Consumer Advisory Council of the Federal Reserve System, got his uh, bachelor's, master's, and uh, Ph.D. in economics from the University of Michigan. Good morning, uh, Dr. Dunkelberg. How are you? Good morning, Chris. Much, yeah. much, much pleasure to be back with you. Well, thank you. I appreciate you taking the time to join us. And gosh, what a timely uh, subject, you know, to be talking about. Uh, your area of expertise, the backbone of our country of small businesses out there and and what they're going through. You know, we follow your report 
every time it comes out and we talk about it throughout the week and then, of course, uh, at length on the program uh, over the weekend here. So to have you on and to be able to, um, you know, qualify and give us some more inside information is uh, is is very valuable because we do have a lot of uh, small business owners, executives, management teams that listen uh, to the program as well. So I guess I'll just start, um, just kind of give our audience an overview of what NFIB does and how you gather this very important information. Sure. Well, NFIB, you know, is a lobbying organization for small businesses. They represent small business interests in Washington, D.C., and in all 50 uh, capitals across the country uh, where legislation that impacts our small business owners uh, originates. So that's what they do, and they've been doing it for a long time. And uh, I think very, very effectively they've become very important in the in the political picture. They have a membership of about 300,000 firms who sign up uh, to support them. And uh, every month we take a random sample of that uh, of that group and uh, send them a survey, a questionnaire, asking them all kinds of stuff, and we'll talk about some of that. And uh, we've been doing that. Now we're in our 50th year uh, that we've been doing that survey. Well, congratulations on that anniversary. And um, again, folks, if you want information, uh, more information on what we're talking about this morning and uh, and resources, you can go to NFIB.com. It's that simple, NFIB.com. So you talk about uh, what you do, uh, the NFIB does in, in Washington and throughout uh, the, the states uh, in this great country. Um, as Do you find yourself as kind of a David versus Goliath when it comes to, you know, the smaller businesses trying to, um, you know, shoulder themselves in, kind of wedge themselves in with the bigger players? Well, you know, that's certainly been a a problem uh, for decades. If you go back 50 years, why people didn't pay any attention to small business. And now it's it's an important uh, topic in the press and also uh, in the research side of uh, academics and investing. So, you know, we, we've come a long way. Um, just to get put it in perspective, there are about 6 million employer firms out there. Um, 20,000 of them are large by the SBA definition of 500 or more workers. And all the rest, virtually uh, 6 million, something less than 6 million, are, are small by definition. And most of them, you know, have 10 employees or so around in that size. Um, so even though each individual firm is uh, very small, doesn't look like, you know, a, a Ford Motor company, um, <clears throat> none of the Ford Motor products get sold by Ford. They get sold by small businesses um, on Main Street and across the country. And, and that's the key, I think. Um, so small business really, uh, as a group, uh, looking at the macro data that the government collects, would be the third largest economy in the world, U.S. being number one, China being number two, and then small business in America being number three. Uh, so we're very, very important. We employ uh, tons of people, and we produce tons of output and produce lots of services. 
And uh, it's a very vital part of the U.S. economy. Yeah, it sure is. And I really appreciate you, you know, pointing that out. I just learned something. I didn't realize that, uh, you know, as a, an, an economic engine, that it was number three, only behind, of course, us and China. So that just uh, helps people to understand even more. I mean, we always stress the importance of the small businesses, the small business owner, the investments they make, the risk that they take. And then, of course, as you touched on, the employment that they provide is phenomenal. Um, And, uh, you know, I guess I'll transition a little bit. Well, we saw the producer price index this week. And, uh, of course, unfortunately, it was uh, even worse than the CPI uh, over a week ago. How are small businesses dealing with this, these inflation pressures, and are they really trying to absorb um, as much or all of it? Or, again, are they forced to have to pass it on? Well, I think uh, the latter is probably the case. Nobody wants to absorb these higher costs uh, coming in the, the back door. Uh, because if you just absorb them, that means it's coming out of your bottom line, and that's the profitability. And uh, for a very competitive uh, firm, which small businesses are, you know, there's not a lot of fat uh, down there. So um, passing it on is really, uh, you know, what we have to do. And we're doing that now at uh, record high rates, a record high 72% of our owners last month said that they raised their average selling prices and a huge chunk of them by 10 percent or more. So uh, we're having to really raise prices uh, to, to deal with this. Now, we do other things, too, to try to cut costs. And as any good manager would do, uh, try to control costs coming on, uh, on the back door. But uh, it's been pretty tough. Really tough. I agree. And and again, I think uh, and people realize it. That's one thing there. They're, at least what I've uh, uh, experienced and, and seen is that um, they're very, very frustrated and maybe even angry about what they have to deal with on a daily basis as a consumer. And then yet they also understand that it's not uh, price gouging or, you know, these businesses going out saying, oh, this is a great opportunity for us to take advantage of our customer. Um, It's something that uh, when, you know, these these consumers see the numbers, they realize, well, it can all be a, a burden on the business owner and the company. It has to be passed on. Hence, we see that. You know, both inflation, whether it's the PPI, the producer price index on the wholesale level or the CPI on the consumer level at these, uh, you know, 40 year highs. Yeah, that's that's right. I mean, we, we have to remember that the main source of capital for small businesses to survive and grow and invest uh, is the earnings. And right now, the trend on earnings is not very good. We have 25 percentage points more saying earnings are headed down than, say, earnings are headed up. In fact, only a few percent say up. So, you know, earnings are under pressure, always are, because it's, it's hard to, to adjust to the cost coming in and to pass those on uh, to the customers. So, 
No, it's a tough deal right now. Yeah, for sure. For everybody involved, uh, the business owner, the consumer, you name it. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation with our guest this morning, Mr. Bill Dunkelberg. He's the chief economist at the National Federation of Independent Business, the NFIB. And you can go to NFIB.com and uh, get some more information and uh, data it really good stuff, and it's free. Just go to their website, NFIB, and we'll be back in just a minute. Welcome back. This is Chris Murray, your financial editor on Free Talk Radio 930 WFMD at WFMD.com. And as a podcast, just go to Apple Podcasts and you can listen to the Your Financial Editor program or share it with somebody uh, that you think would uh, appreciate it, especially a good one like today when we have our guest, uh, Mr. Bill Dunkelberg. He is the chief economist at the National Federation of Independent Business. Uh, he's been there since 1971. He's professor emeritus of economics at the School of Business and Management at Temple University. Um, he's been at uh, uh, an advisor to the Secretary of Commerce. Uh, he was appointed to the Consumer Advisory Council of the Federal Reserve System, and he got his uh, his his bachelor's, master's, and Ph.D. degrees in economics from uh, the University of Michigan. And he's kind enough to join us again, uh, and we really appreciate it. So, uh, Mr. Dunkelberg, I guess, you know, we were talking about these price increases and the inflation. The other really hard part is uh, when you look at uh, labor issues for these uh, business owners. Indeed, that's the case. Well, it's kind of a strange uh, situation now. You know, if you look at our our, uh, job openings, over 50% have a job opening they can't fill. And that's among the highest readings we've had uh, in the history of the survey. So it's been up there, you know, consistently for months. So there are plenty of opportunities to uh, get a job. And about 25 or or um, higher percent of our owners plan to increase employment. And as they plan to fill, they're going to try to fill those openings. How are we doing that? Well, uh, they, they, we don't have many ways to do it other than offer higher wages. And so we have a very high percentage of our, historically high percentage of our owners reporting that they raise worker compensation, uh, trying to attract and keep uh, the employees that, that they have. And, of course, that's one of their biggest costs, one that they have to pass on in the form of the higher prices that we talked about earlier. Yeah, and there's no way around that because, like you said, it's a very competitive job market. I've got all of those openings, um, and uh, wages have been going up as well as other things that are negotiated uh, nowadays by, you know, small businesses and large businesses with these extra perks that, uh, you know, that these workers get to benefit from. So it's it really is a head scratcher as to why those positions continue to remain unfilled. Yeah, it is. You know, and of course, total employment is still about a million below where it was in February of 2020, uh, before we got hit with the virus. 
So, you know, there's still room for employment to grow. The question is, you know, will it continue? And uh, that takes us to the kind of the other strange part about the index is 10 components. We talked about the labor pieces. Those are important. But we also asked, you know, six months from now, do you think the economy will be, business conditions will be better or worse than they are now? And an all-time record high, uh, say, worse. You know, so the net percent thinking it's going to be better is minus 54%. That's not very good. And then we ask them about expected sales. Will they be higher or lower in real terms? And so that's a minus 15%, meaning, again, more firms think sales will be lower than think they'll be higher. And uh, only 6% of the firms think now is a good time to expand, which is historically very low. So we're very pessimistic about the second half of the year, and yet we have – we feel we we could make money right now if we could just get the inventories in, if we could just get the workers uh, to serve the meals or make whatever, produce whatever service it is that they produce, um, kind of make hay while the sun shines, but they don't think the sun is going to shine very long. Yeah, and that's, uh, you know, it, it, that's almost seems to be tied to uh, consumer sentiment, you know, so the small business owner seems to be uh, very much in step with the American consumer. We saw uh, the report uh, over a week ago from your alma mater, uh, the University of Michigan Consumer Sentiment Report, was really in the ditch um, and had some some you know terrible numbers to look at and and review and yeah. consider. One of the lowest numbers in the history of that survey, which I used to do back in the day. <laughs> yes, that's that's what I mean. So it seems like you know you, you, the consumer and the small business because you get some different spin from the larger uh, corporations. That of course they live a different life. They can go to the capital markets. They can do all these different things that they need to do. Uh, and it can be a little easier on them, whereas you have the the small business uh, owner out there with his shoulder to the wheel. Um, it's it's a little more difficult. And like I said, it seems like uh, a, a lot of people that I talk to, individuals, share the same type of sentiment um, that that your re, your latest report, the NFIB Small Business Optimism Index report shows as well. Going forward for the next six months, they're kind of kicking their dog. They don't feel super. Um, enthusiastic because of what everybody's dealing with. Right. On balance, the the index was 93, and uh, the long-run historical average of our index is 98. So we're well below even the average for the, for the uh, 50 years or so of survey data that we have. Uh, and that that's not good. Um, and it's certainly clear from the data that, you know, when when that expected business conditions index goes so negative, it's always been followed by a recession. So we'll have to see how that plays out. Yeah, and, you know, I mean, I, a lot of people ask my opinion on that. And, you know, it really is a moot point, I was saying uh, recently, because even if we don't have a technical recession, uh, you know, the back-to-back uh, quarters, I, everybody seems to feel like, they're already in one. They just don't. Yes. They just don't feel good. You know, they're paying all these higher prices, and they don't have a good feeling about leadership, and they don't have a, a good feeling about you know, like you had said, the next six to to twelve months or whatever for their particular situation. So even if we don't 
dip into that uh, from a technical standpoint. It sure feels like uh, people have that mindset right now. Yeah, well, it sounds like you're describing stagflation, where growth is not negative but so low that you can hardly see it. Uh, In the meantime, prices are going up much faster than certainly than the Fed's 2% target. Uh, that would be stagflation. Right, right. Yeah, exactly. So, um, well, look, we're going to continue to keep an eye on everything, including uh, the great work that you guys do at the NFIB. And just again, folks, you can go to NFIB.com and uh, get a lot of resources. Of course, you can join the organization and and be part of uh, their larger voice across uh, the entire country. And, um, Mr. Dunkelberg, we look forward to having you back on. I always appreciate, you know, your insight and your input and all the experience that you have and and how you lay it out in in layman's terms and help our listeners understand it. Well, my pleasure. Uh, Happy to come on anytime. Yes, sir. Thank you very much. You enjoy the rest of your weekend. And, uh, again, always get such solid uh, information from Mr. Uh, Dunkelberg when he's on the program. Or, like I said, if you go to NFIB and read some of his findings, some of his research, what's going on in the small business uh, arena. Look, that's America. You know, the small business owners, they're the ones that uh, that keep everything afloat. We hear about the big corporations and who's in the Dow, the, the Dow 30 and all that stuff. It's a small businesses and um, all that, that they do as far as economic growth and employment growth and opportunities and the risk that they take is just, uh, it, you know, it's to be admired. Um, and that's why it's so hard to stay in business because uh, there, there's a lot associated with it, including what we're going through now. So we'll have Mr. Dunkelberg uh, back on another time, get more information in the interim. Um, I will talk with you on the Morning News Express. Uh, talk with Bob and Ryan live weekday mornings, 5.56, a.m. Uh, for a business update. And then we'll be back here next uh, Saturday for another uh, Your Financial Editor program. And um, don't forget, go to murrayfinancialgroup.com and get our latest white paper, Creating Your Retirement Recipe, How Interest Rates Play a Role. Again, that's at murrayfinancialgroup.com. And um, enjoy the rest of your weekend. This is Chris Murray wishing you and your family financial success. editions of this program are available in the audio vault at wfmd.com news radio 930 wfmd frederick a connoisseur media radio station seven o'clock